our scripture today is from the book of John. If you would like a physical Bible, the ushers will be more than happy to bring you one. Just wave your hand and they will bring you to your seat. We will be reading John chapter 2, verses 2 through 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind they used by Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize what it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after and the guests after the guests have had too much to drink but you have served the best till now what jesus did here in cana of galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him after this he went down to capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples there they stayed for a few days thank you so much daniela um, hey, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. It's fun that our team's actually, well, I say our team. Yeah, I can say that, right? I know this is such a transient area. That might not always be the case. And what's awesome about this is this Super Bowl has a little bit of everything, uh, something in it for everybody. You got Taylor Swift involved too, so. And you can never go wrong with guacamole. So I hope it's a fun, fun afternoon. Hope, hope, hope our team prevails. I'm not, I'm not biased. Yes, I am. Um, good to be in God's word with you today. Um, Studying this text this week, I was reminded of how when our son, Caleb, was in kindergarten, so just five years old, uh, Cindy and I decided it was time for him to begin to officially contribute to the family. So we gave him a chore complete with a $1 a week allowance. Uh, we didn't know what fair market rate was for five-year-olds at the time, so we did $1. And actually to him, that was all he needed because he did the calculation, figured, okay, a couple weeks' time and I'll have some Pokemon cards. So work for him. We don't give them $1 today, okay? We give them a little bit more than that. Um, but his task, this little guy's task, was clearing the table after dinner. Remember, he was five years old. And as I'm sure everybody could figure here, uh, as much as we were like, all right, trying to help him do this, really it ended up being more work for us than for, you know, than if we had been doing it ourselves, right? I mean, this little five-year-old would get distracted. He'd need reminding, uh, you know, it, talk about efficiency. There was no efficiency to it, you know, so we'd end up doing it anyways and all that sort of thing. But what was really cool about this process was even for our little five-year-old, who didn't understand all the intricacies of what was happening, you could just see the joy in the experience of it for himself, like the joy of starting to begin to understand what it meant to not just do something to be a part of the family, but really do things to help the family be the family. And there was just a joy that he experienced through serving, imperfect though it was. And I think that's a dynamic we actually see in the text that was just read today. Uh, we come to the very famous uh, account of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana. 
a story that I have loved to turn to on occasion at weddings because of all the obvious reasons. There's just so many wonderful things you could say about God's love for a wedding couple on their wedding day because Jesus decided to do his first miracle to make these guys' wedding just a little bit more fun. Talk about a God who cares about the joy of wedding and marriage. And so I've, I've thought about that component of the story a lot down the years. But then I actually think that the story is more primarily about something else. I don't think the story, actually, the more I study it, is primarily about God's love for a wedding couple on their wedding day, as much as we could speak to that. I actually think the story is primarily about some characters in it who, if you read it really quickly, you could almost just completely miss. I'm talking about the unnamed servants who got to be a part of the miracle. These guys who got to be a part of Jesus turning water into wine, getting to see it and be a part of that and experiencing the joy of it. And I don't think that it's coincidence that we just happen to be in this text on this day as a church because here we are on the precipice of launching a second gathering come March 3rd. If you're with us, if you're seeing current as your home uh, church family, we're really excited about that. Please be praying into that. But we've been telling ourselves, reminding ourselves, casting vision towards what we believe God is getting ready to do an even greater miracle in our midst. I don't say that lightly. Of course, the Lord only knows. But we've been seeing God do a miracle in our midst as a church in terms of life change, people coming to faith, and all the rest of it. And here we are on the precipice where we're prayerfully expectant that God is getting ready to do an even greater work, perhaps, in helping make room for even more people to hear about the love of God through Christ. In a way that that happens is if we get to be a part of the miracle. That's what we're inviting ourselves into. And I, so I don't see a coincidence as the story kind of leans in on that thought. High-level thought, it seems to me from this text, is when it comes to serving, serving is something God wants not from you but for you. If I could put it in another cheesy way, serving is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. And if you don't buy that or you think I'm just being a pastor trying to, like, you know, twist your arm to get you to serve, fine. Don't take my word for it. I don't care. The last thing I want to do is create a culture here at Current that's about obligation and guilt and all that sort of thing. But I think, I, I think what we'll see in this text, and other, by the way, many other texts like it, is that serving is something God wants for you, not just from you. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in and consider this together. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day. This wonderful day that we get to be here together as a church body, worshiping you. It's such a joy. It's something we can so easily take for granted, but we just want to stop with this first hour or the first day of the week and once again sing your praises. And thank you for your goodnesses and kindnesses to us individually, as families, and as a church family. And Father, thank you so much for all the servants in this room, of which there are many whom you have been using to do a miracle in the Silicon Valley. It just blows us away that you've just been so graciously allowing us to be a part of something that's so clearly of you. Father, would you do even greater things into the future and would you help us look to be a part of it? That's our desire. That's our hope. Father, as we turn now to your word and consider these things, I pray that you'd give us each your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So... Uh, our text starts out with Jesus and his disciples being invited to a wedding. And that's really, whoa, you guys got dark. All right. uh, you guys, uh, you guys, uh, we start out with a, 
Jesus being invited to a wedding. And that's important to kind of highlight here for a second because last week we talked about how we are the lights of the light of the world. If you're here, remember, first week uh, we get into the series, starting in the book of John, we're talking about how Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, second half of the first chapter, we saw how we are, as followers of his, light of the light of the world. <clears throat> and we talked about the importance of being invested in community and relationships. Well, here is evidence of Jesus doing just that. He and his disciples were so embedded in the community, so invested in community and relationships, that they were invited to weddings. They didn't just sequester themselves off in some holy huddle. You know what I mean? They were, they were invited to weddings. Well, at this wedding, the wine ran out. And that was a big deal. Okay? Some of you here today, that would be a big deal today. It would be a massive deal back then. 2,000 years ago, it was, it was, it was an occasion for social disaster that these were small town villages where everybody knew everybody. These wedding feasts were often in, in that day in society. The tradition was to celebrate them for about a week's length of time. And the wine kind of helped with the festivities. But because everybody knew everybody, remember, it's not like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people like in a city today. It's like everybody knew everybody. Because that was the case, it's like, man, if they didn't deliver on the wine or they ran out or something like that, they were on the verge, this couple, of being that couple. You know what I mean? The wedding almost certainly would have been the talk of the town for years, just on its own. But now, if they had run out of wedding beforehand, you better believe what the talk of the town would have been. What's more is almost certainly... So this culture back then was very superstitious in their thinking. There's no way... There's, there's no place that the Bible teaches such things. It was just the culture at the time. But a lot of people back then would have equated the wine running out at their wedding as, oh my goodness, this must mean God is not happy with, you, with these... With these people. Like, his joy is not on this, this, this wedding. His joy is not on this marriage. I mean, it's worth noting that Jesus would quickly dispel that superstition. But that was what everybody was feeling at the time, let alone the bride and groom. When the, when the wine ran out, well, Mary, for her part, was feeling all of this. Right? Just feeling the potential shame, impending shame coming. You know, the embarrassment that the couple was going to have to face, not only on their during their wedding feast, but also in the community, you know, in their lives. And Mary is feeling all these things, turns to Jesus and says, hey, can you handle this? It's kind of amazing that Mary did that because, I mean, Jesus has not up until this point revealed anything about his divinity. And Now, Mary had, had been there when the angel gave the prophecy about his birth. Mary had been there during Jesus' younger years, clearly seeing that this was no child of, uh, uh, equal to another, you know, she had other kids herself, and Jesus was just no doubt just standing out just in terms of his sinlessness and all that sort of thing. But here she is feeling all that, and she turns to Jesus and says, hey, we, you need to do something about it. And Jesus responds, woman, why are you involving me? Now, it's worth mentioning. <laughs> it needs to be said. I actually tip my hat to the translators here because they're trying to faithfully translate what the word actually was back then for us to have today, even though it's not the way our... You know, our English years would hear it differently than how Jesus intended. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus was not using a term of disrespect when he's like, woman, what are you talking about? This is not some Samuel L. Jackson voiceover. Woman, where's my super suit? You know what I mean? <laughs> he was saying, you know, it, was a, it was a term of great respect. It is noteworthy to kind of say he was starting to distance himself from earthly relationships. That's noteworthy. But he says, in, in a term of great respect, he says, why, why are you involving me? My hour has not yet come. And uh, we're told here that uh, he listens to his mama, 
goes ahead and does it with mama. He certainly also prays because we're told later, Jesus emphasized many, many times later on that he only ever did something in conjunction with the, the father, his, his heavenly father telling him to do it. So he almost certainly prayed and worked it through and decided, okay, this is a, this is a good thing to do. And then we pick up in verses 6 and 7. It says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Uh, okay, so now as, as we're thinking about this thought, serving is something God wants not from you but for you. Serving, serving is something not we have to do but we get to do. Here's the first thought we see from this story. Jesus deliberately chooses to include us in his work. Jesus deliberately chooses to include us in his work. Jesus was getting ready to do this miracle of miracles. It's a really fun one, one we always hype when we do pub trivias. Whenever we do pub trivia and our friends, our coworkers say, well, why, aren't you at church? Why are you doing a pub trivia? He's like, well, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? It's like this wonderful miracle Jesus is getting ready to do. He had the ability to do, but here's a question. Why didn't he just do it himself? You know what I mean? Like there were the water jugs, these 20 to 30 gallon water jugs. Why didn't he just go, hey, look that way real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> fill them with, wa with water or, or just straight up wine to begin with himself. Like, you know what I mean? Like why didn't he do it that way? Why instead did he include the servants to go, okay, hey, I want you to take, you know, fill those jugs up to the brim. And then he come, when they came back, give them a little more instruction. That's right. Why did he do it that way? And lest we think that this is just a one-off dynamic that Jesus had with his disciples, he actually did this plenty of times in different ways. So, for instance, in his very famous miracle of the feeding, uh, multiplying of the loaves to feed the 5,000, Jesus did a very similar thing then. So, at one point, Jesus was out with his disciples, and the crowds had taken a liking to him and just were following him, even to the point of him going across the Sea of Galilee to a very remote region. The crowd just went out, followed after him, to the point where the disciples were like, man, we can do the math here. This is a lot of people, thousands of people who are very hungry and are very far away from anywhere they can get food. We can't feed them, Jesus, they came to him and said at one point. And Jesus very tellingly said, you feed them. You give them something to eat. In fact, we're also given this detail. Uh, he said this only to test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Meaning, Jesus already knew he was getting ready to multiply the loaves to feed the 5,000. He had that worked out. What he was working out in real time was including the disciples in the midst of that miracle. He's deliberately choosing to include. Because think of it this way. We could ask the same question of that miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, as, as we could say with Jesus in the turning the water into wine. He could have just done that himself. You know what I mean? He could have just multiplied loaves of bread himself and not included the disciples. In fact, there's interestingly enough, even a biblical precedent for that. What are you talking about? For those of you who've read the Bible and understand kind of, you know, biblical history, when the ancient Israelites were delivered out of Egypt and were traveling through the wilderness, ultimately into the promised land led by Moses, there was a time when the multitude themselves came to a place where they're such a remote region, they didn't have any food and they were really nervous about it. And what did God do for them then? He rained down bread that they called manna, right? So there's a biblical precedent for this. Jesus could have, coming back to the scene of feeding the 5,000, he could have said, all right, everybody sit down, let me rain manna down from heaven. That'd be kind of a cool little interaction too. You could like drop some meta thoughts there too. I'm, I'm God, I'm doing it the same way, but here I'm doing it in a different way. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't decide to do it that way. Instead, he's like, 
working with the disciples on their faith. He's already got in his mind what he's going to do. And then he says, okay, go ahead. And I want you disciples to have them sit down in 50s and 100s. And, and, then, and then he deliberately, intentionally, purposely includes the disciples in the passing out of the loaves. All this very intentional. All this very deliberate. Jesus deliberately chooses to include you and me in his work. Yeah, I'm reminded again of my son whom we gave the little, you know, clearing of the table chore to. I mean, he didn't have it all worked out, but with little he did work out. Even in, per, in, in his imperfect way of carrying it out, he got to experience the joy of serving and being about the things that the family was being about. And frankly, as parents, we were excited for him in that as well, even though we were also going behind him and cleaning up. And There's just a joy, there's a privilege just on the surface of it, the honor of getting to be a part of God's work that he graciously allows us to be a part of. But, second thought, we have to be willing to do what he puts in front of us. That's also really clear in this text. God deliberately chooses to use us as a, in, a, in his work, but we have to be willing to be a part of that. It's, it's fun. You know, when I was uh, studying uh, for this text, I always try to study the text on my own and then go to the commentary work or the biblical scholarly work to try to make sure I'm not off base. And, and when I got to the commentary work, every single Bible scholar I read, okay, this is rarely the case, every single one of them, said, man, Mary's words here are words to live by. What, what are her words? Verse 5, saying to the servants about Jesus, do whatever he tells you. I thought that was really interesting. That's like biblical scholar nerdiness right there. It's like, it seems like a very descriptive word. But actually, man, these are the words Christians could live by and do really well. Do whatever he tells you. And what was that in the case of these servants? It said, he said to fill the six jars uh, each 20 to 30 gallons to the brim with water. Now, it's worth mentioning that there almost certainly wasn't any water source right there at the wedding. I mean, there's, there's no way. This is long before, 2,000 years ago, it was long before like spigots being around. You could just fill water up and call it a day. These guys had to go make several trips in order to fill up these big jars that they couldn't just take down to whatever water source and bring back. There's just no way they could have carried that. So, what we're told is that they would have had probably uh, like, you know, some containers, smaller containers of about a gallon size that they could take to wherever, whatever distance they had to go to get the water and bring back. So if you do some math in terms of, you know, one gallon and, you know, about 150, it would have been about 150 trips for these guys unless they had two each, which maybe they had, maybe they didn't, so you can cut that in half or whatever. The point is they would have been doing a lot of trips. Just imagine if you were one of those servants. How would you have been thinking? How would you have been feeling? What would you have been saying as you went back and forth filling these water jugs with water? You know what I'm saying? Like, what would you have been talking about? As, I know what I would have been. I would have been saying stuff like, what in the world are we doing? Who even is this guy? Remember, Jesus still not revealed himself. It's not like these servants had any clue. They're like, this is, must be the most way, massive waste of time ever. I got all these other things I got to do for this wedding. It's now I'm doing this. What gives? You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine if you're being, even if, you wouldn't, if you're not as like cynical as I am in a situation like that, it's still probably not, woo, this is fun. As they went back and forth many times with water to just be like, what, what, is, what is going on? That's almost certainly what they were feeling before the miracle. Imagine how their tune changed after the miracle. You know what I'm saying? Like beforehand, they're like, what in the world? Why would we even be a part of Afterwards, they're like, we got to be a part of that? Like, did you, did you, did 
you see that? Like we, we, what? You know what I'm saying? God chooses to include us in the work, but we've got to be willing. Like, are you willing? Um, I, I find it just to be such a gift. I've shared this, you know, in years past. Such a gift that I just happened to have had. In fact, I don't see it as a coincidence. Just the opportunity as a little guy to have helped my parents with a, with a church startup, with a church plant, where for years, actually I did the math, a little over a decade, I was on setup and teardown. And when I was doing setup and teardown, we were not moving these wonderful cases on awesome casters with wheels that are squeaked with oil. You know what I'm saying? We were playing Tetris every week with these awkwardly shaped and weighted things. You know, I, I thank the Lord for those, by the way. I'm not trying to rip into the hops group. I'm, just, I'm the first one to say this is awesome we were able to do this. But we were, you know what I mean? We were taking rugs from this side of the church over there, fold them out for the kids. There was this one particular rocking horse where I'm like, how do you get it through the door? And... I got to meet so many people in the church. That was really fun. But you know what I wouldn't trade for the world is it allowed me a front row seat to see the miracle of what God was choosing to do by his grace through the church there in Berkeley. People coming to faith. I wouldn't trade those years of setting up and tearing down for the world. Got a front row seat. It's wonderful. It's incredible because it's just like, man, I just, frankly, it was in that time. I was like, man, I want my life to be about that at whatever level. Our, are you willing? With whatever God puts before you, are you, are you willing? At the, uh, well, let me, let me uh, develop this real quickly. Because if, if you look at how Jesus went about doing this miracle, notice, notice first what he uses and who he uses. What were the jugs that were, quote, nearby? Who were the servants who were willing, right? The, the servants could have been like, no, nah, I'm cool, bro. I'm not doing that. And they would have missed out. But they were there. They got to be a part of it question becomes, are we willing? At the risk of maybe embarrassing them a little bit, but also hopefully, more, more importantly, honoring them, uh, this makes me think of one of our elders, Ed McDonald, at this church. Ed and Michelle have been such tremendous gifts to the church here at Current that I can't even put words to it. They're such a gift. And early on, Ed was, before we even started meeting in a, in a living room, he's a lawyer by trade. He was the one who helped us figure out how to incorporate as a nonprofit. Uh, early on, we needed to establish accountability structures, which is kind of an interesting thing to kind of work out before you're actually meeting as a church. Like, how do you do that? Normally, churches that are established have elders and can, you know, do like, you know, uh, ways of kind of working that out. Uh, we weren't even meeting, really. And even the people who were meeting were still getting to know. So it's like, okay, how do you figure that out? Well, he was one of our external elder, elders, a kind of a provisional elder to help us kind of get up and running. And he was tremendously invaluable to us in that. Michelle and he, just tremendous gifts. Well, at one point, I'll never forget, uh, Ed and Michelle came to Cindy and myself and said, hey, you know, we feel led that God is calling us to be a part of the church, as in we want to come and be in the community. They're a couple cities away, and they've been just kind of commuting to help the church get up and going, and they have been a tremendous gift. If you know them, you know what I'm talking about. But there was this one time where uh, I was coming out of a seminary class that Ed had just led. It was it was to seminary students about, you know, legal issues in the church. I mean, even that is just a thought of like, man, he just has an incredible uh, niche gift that he's able to bless the church body with. We were coming out of that thing. He caught me and pulled me aside in the parking lot. He said, Dave, we need to talk about something. I said, okay. He said, Michelle and I are thrilled to come and be a part of the church in person, in community. We're really excited about that. But I need to let you know that also means I need to step down as an elder. And I already knew where he was going with this, but he kept going. He said, I can't come in, and as people are getting to know me, this little, young, fledgling church, 
oh, hi, who are you? I'm Ed. I'm thine elder. You know what I'm saying? Like, that would just be, he's like, I just got to come in and just, we just got to be, come and be part of the community. I, I need to step down from being an elder. And I'm over here thinking like, wow. It pained me that he needed to step down as an elder because we we're going to lose a tremendous gift and asset in that sense. But it's like, wow, the wisdom and humility of that. And then the other thing I won't ever forget is related to the story was one of the very first few times I ever saw Ed and Michelle together at a current service was Michelle in there with the kids doing her thing. Kids are just completely engaged, listening to a gospel story. And there was Ed for his part on his hands and knees playing with the kids, trying to help them keep attention. And I had a moment then where I'm just like, Look about, look, think about the humility of that. Think about the willingness to serve wherever the Lord is putting somebody. I was just like, it doesn't surprise me now that the Lord in his wisdom has decided to, you know, after a few years bring him back on to be an elder. But the whole point here is there needs to be a willingness. Are you, are you willing to serve with what the Lord's put in front of you? That might mean being back there with the kids on your hands and knees just helping them pay attention to a lesson. It might be teaching the kids a lesson. It might be facilitating a Bible lesson for adults. It might mean setting up and tearing down. It might mean playing an instrument on a Sunday morning. It might mean, boy, it might mean driving a trailer early in the morning, including a couple weeks ago when it was raining hard for us Californians. And it's like nobody knows you're out there except maybe, you know, your spouse or I don't know. It's like, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Jesus deliberately chooses to include us in the miracle. The question is, are we willing? Are you willing? And there's so many opportunities to jump in. We're excited to put before you, but let's continue on with the account. It says in verse 8, Then Jesus told the servants, Now draw some out, draw some water out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Man, as cool as it would have been to be the master of banquet and to drink the wine that Jesus had made. Think about that for a second. John 1.1, 1, 1, the word was in the beginning. Jesus was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. The creator, Jesus, turning water into what he thinks is good wine. I'd like to have a, t- a try at that. You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine? Some of you guys are connoisseurs going up to Napa or whatever. It's like... What do you think the creator thinks of his good wine? Okay, as cool as that thought is, as cool as that thought is to consider what it would be like to be the master of banquet, I would pass that over and want nothing less than to be one of those unnamed servants. Because the servants knew. The servants got to see and be a part of the miracle. And that's really the whole point of this. Is the servants, when we serve, we get to be a part of God's work. We get to be a part of the miracle. It's not the servants who did the miracle. They did not do the miracle. They did not bring anything sufficient in and of themselves to perform that miracle. Just so we're absolutely clear, right? It was just their willing obedience to follow what Jesus put in front of them. They got to be a part of what God was doing. And Jesus knew that that the joy of being part of the work would allow them to be a part of its blessing as well. It's just incredible to think about what God chooses to allow us to be a part of it. Was it glamorous work that, the, that the, these unnamed servants got to be a part of? Lugging the water back and forth? No, it wasn't glamorous. But you know what? They don't care. And you know what? For all eternity, they're not going to care. I wouldn't. I'd get, for all eternity, be like, I got to be there. And you know what's actually crazier? Not that it can get crazier. It can get crazier. That's actually the smallest part of what the 
these unnamed servants got to be a part of. The small part of the miracle was the turning of water into wine. There was so much more going on that actually God allowed them to be a part of. What are we talking about? Look at verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. These are two reasons even greater than getting to be a part of just the miracle itself of the water being turned into wine. Number one, they got to see Jesus, got to be a part of Jesus revealing his glory as the Son of God. How did Jesus, the Son of God, reveal his glory? Was it by helping the lame walk? Was it by helping the blind see? Was it by walking on water himself? Was it by feeding the 5,000 or raising the dead to life? All of those would come out with a bang. How Jesus revealed his glory as the Son of God was making a wedding for an unnamed couple just a little bit more joy-filled. Think about that. Those of you guys who are in marketing, you know the acronym with them? Have you heard of that? It's an acronym that's been around in marketing for a number of decades. I'm not in marketing, so I'm getting ready to move into, forgive me if I don't get this quite right. But with them stands for what's in it for me. Okay? And the whole idea behind this marketing is whenever you are trying to sell or market a product or service, you got to be asking what the customer is going to be asking, what's in it for me? Because if you can't answer that question about your service, your product that you're putting in front of them, they're not going to go for it. Does that make sense? you got to help them understand why it's worth their time, their energy, their money. What's in it for me? Because the reality is that's human nature. That's our culture. That's you and me. We're constantly living life with them. (laughs) What's in it for me? Think about that. But Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world to reveal his glory to show he didn't come asking what's in it for me, but what's in it for them. What's in it for, for others. I mean, we talked about earlier, for instance, how Jesus, you know, multiplied the the loaves to feed the 5,000. John doesn't cover it in his account, but the other gospel accounts talk about how Jesus in the wilderness, when Satan was tempting him, said, hey, you're really hungry. You should make some bread for yourself. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why not? Well, in great part, because he didn't come to use his divine glory to just help himself. Make his life more comfortable, his life more easy and He came to use his power, his influence for others. This is God's glory, that he would come and reveal himself even to just make a wedding for an unnamed couple whom he knows by name a little bit more joy-filled because he loves them, he loves you, he loves me. Jesus is constantly asking what's in it for them. That's his glory. That's the God we serve. We serve a serving God. To really emphasize the point, at one point Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Think about that. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word who was in the beginning, was with God, who was God, had every right to come in and say, you know what, you can, all, you can just go ahead and serve me already. And to have been right about that. To have been justly, to have been just to say we should just fall on our knees and worship him because he's worthy. But he didn't come that way. He came what? Not to be served, but to serve. And not just to serve you know, lugging water around, although that's something he washed people's feet. None of that even compares to what he ultimately came to do, and that was die on the cross for your sins and mine, to deal with the greatest need that we all have. What's in it for them? He thought about our greatest need, dealing with our sin that separated us from the love of God, our Father, in order to make a way for us to be in eternal relationship with him. And if you're here today and you've never, fo- you've never chosen to follow him or you're still trying to figure this out, that's what's known as the gospel. 
or literally the good news. Jesus came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He lived a sinless, perfect life and died the death in your place to offer forgiveness of sins that if you receive him by faith and faith alone, you will receive a forever relationship with him. That's the gospel. Putting your faith in him for what he's done for you. You can receive him today. You can receive him in this very moment. Eternal life in him. By saying, Lord, I just receive what you've done for me on the cross and I, I commit this day to try following you as best I can. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to make a little note of that on your connection card. Not that that's what saves you, but we'll see it, pray for you, come alongside you in whatever way you're comfortable with, resource you and the rest of it. But this is ultimately why Jesus doesn't see serving as something he wants from you, but something he wants for you. We get to follow in the steps of our, of our God who is a serving God. It's the joy of serving. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to include us for us. We get to be a part of it. And again, just to come back to it, I don't think it's a coincidence that we happen to be going through this text as we happen to be coming up to launching a second gathering on March, March 3rd. I mean, maybe that's coincidence. I have a hard time seeing that. The Lord is inviting us, inviting you into the opportunity of jumping into what we humbly, prayerfully are expectant is a miracle getting ready to happen. I say that all with fear of God in me. Who knows? The Lord gets to choose. But for whatever gracious reason, he's been doing that. Week after week, he's been revealing his love through his son. That he cares about others. wants us to care about others. He's been helping people believe in him, come to faith. He's been helping the servants get to see that they're a part of it. Week after week, it's just it's like pinch me. And we want to include you in that. There's opportunity. Here's another happy coincidence. It's crazy to me how many coincidences. Okay, I'll stop saying that. Uh, happy coincidence, the team happened to put together a cool little video of the joy of serving. That was not in tandem. It's kind of cool. So let's go ahead and play that, and then I'll come back and say a few, a few more words. Life-giving, adorable. Important, inviting. Joyful. Creative, it's unpredictable, and it's cool. Having fun and interacting with each other in the presence of God. Being able to play great music, not just for fun uh, or because it feels good, but really for the Lord. It's for a higher purpose. Definitely getting to greet new people. And what's especially uh, rewarding is seeing them come back um, in the following Sundays and really integrating into the church community. the wide variety of people that are on the team. Um, you know, I think as a young adult who is new to the church and new to the area, it's easy for me to kind of stay in my comfort zone and just be around people uh, that I normally would be around. Uh, but Ops team has just a lot of people in a lot of stages of life. And so it was awesome to get to build friendships and relationships with these people, uh, you know, over the many months I've gotten to serve with them on Ops. When I first joined, I was immediately embraced, quite literally, by the kids. And it wasn't like I was new at all. I was just part of the family. Yeah, in that clap, in that clap, I want to say thank you to the tech team, but also to all the wonderful volunteers that that's just a small sliver representing what God is doing and who he's brought to the table. We're so grateful for you guys. It's wonderful to get to do this. I don't say this lightly, but it, it is one of my greatest life's joys to get to serve the Lord alongside you here in the Silicon Valley. And we just feel like the water's warm and we'd love to include you to be a part of that. 
There's so many, you know, I was reminded this week um, by a, uh, a staff member that I thought was really, really insightful. We're getting ready to step into a new season of, of, of the life of the church that we haven't fully gotten to appreciate, I don't think, until we, until we get there. So for those of you who've grown up in the church, uh, not everybody here at Current, but for those of you who did grow up in the church and you had the opportunity of having two gatherings, there's really a gift that comes with that. So for instance, there's a gift of being able to serve and attend, to, have, uh, to be able to concentrate fully and focus on pouring into others, as well as concentrating and focus to be able to be, able to be poured into on, on a given Sunday. And then there's also the opportunity of, for instance, with our kids and youth, where, there's, where there can be a little bit more consistency. Like some of us, we remember our times as kids and people investing in us in the church. And we remember the, you know, there's consistency in terms of the volunteers who were able to be with us on a more regular basis because there was also a gathering where they were able to attend and be poured into. Is this making sense? Like a lot of these things, we just haven't been able to fully appreciate and experience as a church, and we're excited about that. But the whole idea here is there is opportunity for you to jump in. If you're new here, we would love to talk to you. In fact, you can actually make a little note on your, your sheet, as Daniela helped us know. You can put a little, I'm interested in serving, would love to talk to somebody. Uh, we can get information to you. A team lead can reach out. If you are new and you're thinking the classic thought of, oh, man, they've got this covered. You know, I'm just new. I don't really know anybody. Everybody else knows everybody. That's not entirely true at Current. It's actually really exciting. By nature of us growing, there's constantly a lot of new people, which we thank God for. We're also very transitory, meaning there's, also, there's a lot of a shuffle. All, I, say, I go into all that to say, if you're a new person, you think you're going to show up to like a team meeting and be the only new person. Chances of that happening are actually very low. It's not going to be the weird, awkward of, you know what I'm saying? We all get the opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity as we're scaling to jump in, and we'd love to talk to you about that. And uh, last thing I'll say here is, you know, Change is always change, right? Even good change is still change, which is why we've been asking the church to be praying for the church as we go into the second gathering. Change is always change, but I'm reminded, I'm, I'm going I'm to be thinking about these unnamed servants as we move into it. Because while they were no doubt going back and forth to the water and the jugs, thinking some things, why are we doing this or whatever it might be, in the end they got to see and be a part of the miracle. That's our hope and prayer. And we're really excited to see about what God's getting ready to do. As the band comes up, uh, I have a buddy, pastor buddy, who, who recently went to a, a conference where he got to see uh, Cheryl Sandberg speak, uh, formerly the COO of Facebook, formerly the VP of Google. And she's talking about how uh, Eric Schmidt, the then CEO of Google, uh, recruited her. She said it was a fascinating thing because she went to this meeting and uh, she knew that Schmidt was trying to recruit her onto a team that didn't exist. There was no team. She's like, why, why would I sign up for that? But then Schmidt said something to her that she'll never forget. He said, when you're asked to get on a rocket ship, you don't stop to ask what seat. I thought, how cool is that? Because this idea of if he could be so bold to say that about the mission of Google looking to organize its data for the world, how much more bold can we be? in terms of inviting each other into the mission of getting God's gospel through Jesus out into the world. And so this is what we're asking each other to roll up our sleeves, to, sleeves for. If you have questions about it, we'd love to talk to you about it. But mainly, can you just be praying? We're excited. We're thrilled at what God's been doing. And we're, we're expecting of what's to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful story of these unnamed servants whom you knew the names of, you know the names of. It reminds us that you know our names. 
when we serve you imperfectly as we do, you still allow us to be a part of your eternal work. And we say thank you. And Father, we also ask that you'd help us to be willing. I pray that for each of us. Because the reality is we often, we often would easily miss what it is you're calling us into for lack of willingness. Would you help us? Lord, our prayer as a church from day one has always been we just long to be a part of what you're doing. It's not we who bring anything to the table, but we want to be there with you as you do your work. We give you the praise for all these things. It's in Christ's name.